Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm reading from the LEB version. I love this version. It's what I study with. Check it out if you get a chance. It's super dope. All right. And here we are. It says this. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, exhort you to live in a manner worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, putting up with one another in love, being eager to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, one body and one spirit, just as also you were called with one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. We're going to dig into it. But let's pray first. Father God, you're so good to us. You mean the world to us, and we thank you so much that you've chosen us to be here at this time. And it's good to know that if we're here, you're here also. You know that we have, you, we know that you have a message for us. We ask you right now to do what only you can do. You've prompted me and pulled me into ministry and to love and to study and to come over the text. But at the end of the day, you have to do the preaching for it to be worth it. So make it worth it. You know, everybody came here with different baggages and different things that need to be dealt with. So give the messages to the hearts that you need to do it. And we ask you right now, Father God, that though there may be hard truths today, we ask you to open our hearts to not dismiss things because we feel cut by them. But we ask you right now to allow this word, your word, to envelop our hearts and to change our lives so that we may move forward as the body of Christ, truly in love with you. As we say, in the space between my mouth and and their ears, make a miracle happen. Don't let anybody leave here the same way they came in. Help us to leave better. Help us to love better to do better and to know better. And we will be ever careful to give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory because you deserve it. And things will happen because you make them happen. And I love you and we praise you. Shine me pray. Amen. All right. So I got a question for you guys. Who likes magic tricks? Yeah, there you are. I love magic tricks. Um, I'm easily entertained. I have the mindset of a child in a lot of ways. So if anybody likes makes a coin come out of my ear or has a really cool card trick, I love it. It's a good time. Uh, one of my favorite movies, actually, is Now You See Me. Uh, anybody seen it? It's great. Check it out. It's about these ragtag group of magicians uh, doing fun stuff um, and making the world a better place. That's not what it's about, but it's, it's a fun time. But I really do enjoy, like, up-close magic and stuff. You would be ashamed to know how many hours your youth pastor has spent on YouTube trying to figure out how to make balls disappear and stuff like that. But uh, it's okay, you know. I actually thought about doing a magic trick for you all, 
But I made the decision not to embarrass myself in, uh, in, in front of you because I know how you all are, and you won't let me live it down, so I'm not going to do it. But magic, magic. I'm not here to talk about magic. I'm here to talk about restoration. I'm here to talk about something that's a little bit different, something that doesn't have tips, doesn't have tricks. There are no illusions. There's no way to fake it. Restoration is not magic, and it will require actual work. But I believe the Word of God provides a beautiful blueprint as to how we go about the process of restoration. But first, just to make sure everybody's biblically literate, we're going to do a little bit of a textual analysis. The church of Ephesus, the letter of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul. Apostle simply meaning one who heralds, one who is a messenger. Paul is the foremost, arguably most important uh, apostle of the time or of all of Christendom. Um, He is quoted potentially with writing 13 of the epistles that are found in the New Testament. Um, He also was tasked by giving the gospel of Jesus to those who were non-Jews at the time, those who we call Gentiles. He was tasked by giving the word of God to people who didn't deserve it, who weren't a part of that heritage. And he did it very well. Paul wrote this letter in a jail cell. He wrote it to the believers at Ephesus. Ephesus during this time was the capital of the Roman Empire in the Asian province. And what that means is it was, um, it was a port city. So think of port cities. Think of Miami. Think of New Orleans, Mobile, Boston, San Diego. Big cities full of people having a good time, acting crazy, just shenanigans everywhere. And what eventually ended up happening is those shenanigans eventually started to creep into the walls of the church. We don't know anything about that. That doesn't happen in the 21st century. We know nothing about that. But it did happen then. And Paul was so distraught that he wrote a letter to the believers at Ephesus reminding them who they are and who they are called to be. So I believe the first question is, who is the church can be answered best in the greeting of his letter? And it begins here, Ephesians 1. Paul says this. Paul says, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints that are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to go back to something. First thing Paul calls the believers is saints. Saints. To be distinct in belief, to be distinct in action. I do not know why we have this thing in American Christianity that we feel as though we need to hold on and to idealize brokenness. We've had so many things called broken vessels. We talk about how to love God out of our brokenness. And that is not theologically accurate. Jesus doesn't call you broken anymore. You are now healed once you are believers in the body of Christ. It says, by his stripes, 
we are healed. Not by his stripes, we're still broken. That is bad and poor theology. So you need to leave here knowing today that you are holistically holy and is by the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ that you can live full lives. Stop claiming brokenness over your life. Stop claiming brokenness over your family. It's very annoying to me because I know what Jesus did for us. And when you consider you call yourselves broken, you are in many ways canceling out the work of the cross. Stop calling yourselves broken, but remember who you are. This place is called a hospital. It's not a hospital of broken people healing broken people into brokenness. No, it is a hospital in which people who have been healed by the blood of Jesus are now telling broken people who the healer is and helping them find healing. You are not broken. Stop calling yourselves that. You are what Paul calls you. You are saints. You are sons of God. And some of y'all still don't seem convinced. So I'm going to give you some scripture to back it up. 1 Peter 2.9 says this. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye shall show the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Also, Romans 6, 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. I see some of y'all still don't get it. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all in every place, called upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And I got one more for you in 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You are holy, sanctified, not broken. Stop calling yourselves broken. We use it as some sort of cosmic crutch at times when we have to make an excuse for our actions, when we say, well, we live in a fallen world or where people are broken. You're not broken anymore. God has fixed you unto his purpose and you are now the saints of God. Go boldly and walk into that purpose. All right. I'm going to stop yelling at you. Maybe we'll see. The second thing that Paul talks about is the people in the body of Christ are faithful faithful, faithful, faithful in their belief, faithful in how they act. We understand that we say, well, to believe in the Son of God means to do this and all this other stuff. But it has to do with the idea that you're putting all your eggs in Jesus's basket. Understanding at the end of the day, nothing shall persuade you from looking to the right or looking to the left. You will look straight on to the cross at all times, remembering that at the end of the day, we live, move, and have our being in the blood of the Lamb. We are faithful to this truth. We are faithful to this cause. We are faithful to this purpose of the gospel. Follow the voice of the Savior. 
faithfulness. Jesus says that my sheep know my voice and run after me. I have a question. Are you still running after Jesus? Are you still following him? Or have you gotten sunk in the same place? Deal with that on your own time. It's going to be okay. We're going to figure it out. The third one has, it says right here, when last we are, we are of God. We are of God. And what does that mean for us today? We are of God. We are chosen. We are his priesthood. We are his workmanship. We are his creation. We are of God. Think of it this way. Think of somebody lighting a candle and then using another candle to light the next candle. Is it the same flame? It's not a trick question. You'll figure it out for yourselves. I'll let you get that on the way home. You all seem confused. But let me help you out. Even if it's not the same flame, it is still of the same genesis. It is fire. You are of God. You are creators. You are passionate. We are cultivators of Christendom. This is who we are. You are not your past mistakes. You aren't that relationship that didn't work out. You aren't all those mean things that people called you in middle school. You aren't anything other than a child of God. And go in that. Walk in that. Pursue that. Because that is who you are. And we see here with Paul from his greeting that he is trying to get people to understand the idea of an, will move from an individual sense of salvation to a communal sense of salvation. One thing that's very interesting in our culture right now, well, and it has been for the past about a thousand years, is that we believe that sanctification is only about you and Jesus. But Jesus walked with 12 people. Jesus cared about the salvation of the many. He cared about communal salvation. It's a reason why God talks about a new kingdom and not a new dude or not a new person. He talks about a new society, a new polis, a new city based on biblical truths, right? So we also have to move from believing that our salvation is limited to just me and Jesus. Our salvation is supposed to spread out like a wildfire. It's supposed to move forward. It's supposed to change society. Christianity is a mobile religion. We are not supposed to be stagnant. We are not supposed to be just me and Jesus. Think about that. If it was just me and Jesus, who else would be saved? There is a reason why he gave us a great commission, because Christianity is also a social gospel. It is a social, social salvation. It is for all people and for all people to come back home. Amen. So let's move to this. I'm going to talk about the four qualities of God's church. I've been saying qualities the whole time. I said characteristics up there. Characteristics. Same thing. It's a synonym. Don't judge me. 
all right? Four characteristics of God's church. The first characteristic is this. God's church, not man's church, but God's church focuses first and foremost on loving. Loving. God's church is full of love. Not the sort of love that says, I don't really like him, but I'll love him. If he need me, I'll do something. That's not what it said. How many times has anybody ever said that in their life? Don't lie. You ain't got to raise your hands. But I know a bunch of y'all have said it. A bunch of y'all have been like, you know what? I don't really like them, but if they call me and need something, I'll do it. That ain't love. It's not. God wants you to love and to put yourself into position to find something worth loving and worth liking about people. That's what God wants. God wants you to love people so much that you put their wants and needs above your own. Not just your wife and your kids, but people in your church, people you work with, people you don't like, people who consider you their enemy. You put them ahead of yourself and watch what God does. If you don't believe in magic, you'll believe in miracles. Because God will make something beautiful happen when you begin to love people. God says it this way, that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Remember that. We are called to love. The Bible says the least of these. What does that mean, the least of these? People you don't want to look at on the side of the road. People you think may be out there every week pulling a scam. God is telling you to stop looking past them and to look at them and to meet that need whenever possible. God is telling you when you have the opportunity to serve at the food pantry, serve at the food pantry. God is telling you whenever you have the opportunity to serve somebody in need, serve somebody in need. We have beautiful ministries in this church. And one of the most beautiful ministries I'm just looking at, um, Joe, uh, Jody over there, and one of the most amazing ministries of this church is my brother's ministry. And it's so palpable and so loving they are meeting a need for people who are not in community in the way that they once were, and they are loving people behind bars. God has called you to do the work of loving. Let me tell you what the scripture says about it. It says this, Let no rotten word proceed from your mouth, but only something good for the building up of the need, in order that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. All bitterness and rage and wrath and clamor and abusive speech must be removed from you together with all wickedness. Become kind toward one another. Compassionate. Forgiving one another, just as also God in Christ has forgiven you. People find that forgiveness is just some little word that we say um, when we're just needing somebody to let us get past. It's not a pardon. Forgiveness isn't a pardon. You see what's happened. But forgiveness is in spite of how I'm feeling, regardless of how bad you hurt me, Me and you are going to move on. I won't quit on you. 
and we'll still be family and I'll still love you. And I'll pray to God that he may even give me back to liking you. But we're going to move forward. Forgiveness is mandatory for Christians. Mandatory. It's not optional. Christ says that I forgave you, therefore you must forgive others. Forgiveness is mandatory. People forget where we were before we got saved. I don't know what it is about folk and amnesia, but what none of us too great. Even after salvation, there were some things we still were doing that we were still working out. And then we asked God to forgive us for. My, my great friends in college, he would always just say, well, great Christians cuss. I said, I don't know about that, but that ain't, that ain't my business. But at the end of the day, everybody needs forgiveness. The person you disagree with about political agendas, the person you disagree with about polity or about orthodoxy and orthopraxy, the people who think that the church should do things in a different way. We have to forgive past hurt. Amen? Y'all gonna talk to me this morning. The next characteristic of God's church is that it's unified. Unified. God's church is unified. Not just God's local congregation, God's collective body, God's Catholic church universal is based in unity. The issue here is unity can be hard because unity requires humility. And one thing people got a problem with is humility. We see it on social media, we see it in conversations, we see it at home where we're having discussions. Humility meaning that I don't have to have the last word. Humility meaning that I don't have to be right all the time. Humility meaning that that amazing sarcastic quote that I'm about to post on somebody's timeline, maybe I don't post. Humility meaning that at the end of the day, it's more important to be loving than to be right. God has called you to humility. He hasn't called you to win arguments. That's not what you're called to do. You're not called to have the funniest quotes. That's not what you're called to do. You are called to be unified, to be one in one baptism, in one faith, in one body of God. Put it aside. And you know what kills humility? Pride. Pride will kill humility every time. If you can't lower yourself, if you can't see others as higher than you, you will be a carcinogen to the body of Christ. And it won't move the way it needs to move. The body requires unity and includes humility and removes all pride from it. This means admitting wrongs. That means saying sorry. That means saying, you know what, maybe we didn't do this right. Maybe I didn't do this right. Maybe there's a better way. Maybe next time we'll do it differently. Maybe I should have thought a little bit longer. Admitting wrongs 
admitting wrongs. Eric ain't the best at it. You can ask my wife. I just not. I've been working on it. Some God got to work on me. I ain't saved. I ain't, well, I'm saved. I ain't, I ain't perfect. But you can ask Melina that. There have been many times in our relationship where I've known full well that I'm wrong and I'm just not going to relinquish my spot. And, you know, five for five is ten. Nope, it's eleven. No, there's no way it's eleven. No, I said it's eleven, so it's eleven. We have to stop that. We have to put pride aside. We have to be willing to lose arguments. We have to be willing to admit wrongs to move forward. Then and only then will unity be possible. God wants us to be unified. And let me give you a harsh truth. Let me give you a harsh truth because I love this body and I love this church. Churches fail when there is no unity. Not the church universal, not the church of God. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of God. But local congregations fail when there is no unity. When something terrible happens or when something that has the ability to divide the congregation happens, if they don't make amends and quickly, a church can fail. Don't think it's impossible. I've witnessed it. I've seen churches fail because they could not come back together. Because the rift was so wide, because people had too much pride to say, I'm sorry. To say, I'm sorry to. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe we should have thought about this together. Maybe we should have did this together. I'm sorry. But you know what? We'll figure it out together and we'll go forward. This church has to be unified to move forward. We have to get past hurt. We have to sit hurt down. We have to sit the past down and trust that God will do what only God can do. I have some scripture for you. Here we are, Ephesians 3. It says this, being eager to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. One body, one spirit, just as also you were called with one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all. The thing that always steps out to me and, and screams at me when I read this is the word eager. You gotta want it. You can't be passive and have unification. It don't work that way. Unity can't be an afterthought. Unity has to be at the front of the purpose of your church. If we're going to do it, we're going to have to do it 112%. When you see somebody you once quarreled with, you know what, you got to put it down and say, you know what, I love you. I'm sorry. I don't know what the past was. You may have been right. I may have been right. It don't matter. It don't matter no more. The past is the past. I'm not defined by that. I'm defined by God. And we will go forth in unity as the body of Christ. And we will serve this local church. We will serve our local community. And we will serve this world and bring hope to a lost world. Unity has to happen. Fourth, third characteristic of God's church. Third characteristic of God's church. It's God's church is diverse, diverse, it's diverse in thought, it's diverse in opinion, it's diverse in people, it's diverse in culture. 
We have to be willing to accept and to welcome and to appreciate different ways of loving God. Let me say this. You all can tell that um, I have a darker hue. I was raised in the church um, with people that were a little bit uh, more melanin prone. All right. I didn't hear words like CCM till I was 20. I was raised with organ, big drum, gospel music. But when I came to the church, I was like, oh, there's something different. White people love Jesus, too. Right. We have to get to the point where we accept, love, appreciate and then affirm different ways of loving God. We have to be the people, the church, that makes it a point that our church looks and worships like heaven. Because then people will know full well that Palmetto is a place where everybody can come and love God. Everybody can come and serve the way they need to serve. Everybody can have their song sung. Everybody can have their prayer prayed. God cares about diversity, and he cares about diversity when it comes to giftedness in people. This is what it says in Ephesians 4.11. And he himself gave some as apostles, apostles simply meaning herald, messenger, and some as prophets, prophets in the original Hebrew simply meaning truth teller, and some as evangelists, which only means those who are mission-minded, and some pastors, pastors who preach, who love, who protect, who feed, and teachers, those who help us make sense of it all. Everybody has something to do. And it says, for the equipping of saints, for the work of the ministry, and for building up the body of Christ, you have to have everybody on board. And Eric about to go on the tangent. I'm going to put my little thing on the side and it's going to be okay. Everybody has to be on board. What that means is you can't think that you are adding to the body and adding to the purpose of the ministry just coming on Wednesdays and Sundays and thinking you're doing enough because you're getting the word. God has called you to serve in ministry. God has called you and gifted you to be available to the body of Christ in whatever way you are gifted. If you're good teaching, you need to be teaching somewhere. If you got a great smile, you need to be smiling at somebody Sunday mornings. If you are good at speaking and you care about getting the word out, you need to be somehow figuring out how to work the social media, how to love people, how to get something started. We have to be available. We got to do it. Servanthood is important to the body of Christ. We have to serve. This is my tangent. And I say this because we have people who are great, great people, wonderful people, Talented people hoarding those talents, only using those talents at work where they're getting paid. Listen, I'm coming down to everybody world today. It's going to be okay. God has called you to serve the body of Christ. You've heard me say it a thousand times, and I'll say it one more time. God didn't give you good talents and amazing gifts just to be talented, just to be gifted. 
just to use your gifts as a means of feeding your family. God wants you to use those gifts and those talents to forward the work of the cross, to get people home, to remember who they are called to be, to set the captives free and proclaim that Jesus is alive, living, and he's coming back. We have to do it. Otherwise, somebody messing up. Everybody sang the song, This Little Light of Mine. They said, I'm going to hide my light under a bushel. No, I'm not going to hide my light under a bushel. I didn't know what a bushel was until I got to college. I was like, what in the world is a bushel? But either way, you cannot hide your giftedness. You weren't called to be seat fillers. Nope. You were called to use those gifts appropriately. So do it. So do it. If God has put a ministry on your heart, start that ministry. As God has called you to do something, you've been thinking for the past two years, you know what we need to do at Palmetto? He's telling you to do it. He ain't told nobody. If he didn't told you and nobody else, you the one supposed to do it. You're welcome. All right? That's what's supposed to happen. You are called to serve the church. And we have a wonderful staff. We do. But it's five of us, six of us, maybe. The work of the church is not just for five or six folk. It's for the entirety and the body of the Christ. When we get an action and a feel and a fire for service and building this church up, this church will be all that it's capable of being. I've been saying since I've been here, Palmetto is on a cliff. It's teetering. It's teetering. We can either go forward or we can go backward. We have the giftedness here. We have the resources. We have the staff. We have the people with the heart of Christ. But we got to get to work. You just can't come in Sunday morning and Wednesday mornings and leave and feel like you've done the work of Christ. And that leads me to my last characteristic of God's church. It is growth focused. Growth focused. What that means is at the end of the day, God wants to make sure that you are focusing on growing God doesn't want you to be stagnant. He doesn't want you not to get better. When I think about this, I think about the old song we used to sing in Sunday school, Deep and Wide. God wants you to grow vertically towards him and outwardly towards people. We have a Christocentric gospel that is focused on manipulating and moving culture towards Christ. We have to grow. I know people don't like the word numbers. The folk don't like to talk numbers in church. But I'll tell you what I told this morning. It's a whole book called Numbers in the Bible. You can't be scared of numbers. It don't work that way. We have to also care about growing in size. And when I said earlier, the Bible says that, well, Jesus says that when, I, when, I, uh, when God is lifted up, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. We have to care about getting our message out. We need to grow vertically and horizontally. We need to grow in our understanding of who Christ is, what he's done for us, who we are, who the church is. And then we have to get people here and we have to make an impact on this community and on this world. We're not called to just be here. We're not. We're not called just to have a nice facility. We are called to bring the lost home. 
to bring lost people back home. Think about it. Think about your family. Think about people you love. God loved us so much that he sent the only child that he had to die for a world that hated it. We have to do it. We have to be focused. We have to care about the message of the gospel. We want people home. You will want somebody bringing your child home if they were lost. You will want somebody bringing your loved one home if they were lost. God cares about lost people. And when lost people come home, the church grows. And then we have more gifts. And then we have more saints. And then we have more people of God to get our message out. But it only happens when the church is ready to go. And I'm going to close when I say this. God has called us to do miracles. He's called us to do big things. Somehow he has called us to get over the ails and the disgusting things about society. He has called us not to bicker with one another. He has called us not to call people names. He has called us not to generalize a group of people for what they believe and what they don't believe. God has called you to think that maybe, just maybe, maybe God is on their side too. Maybe God is on their side too. Maybe I'm not so right. And then we'll see what happens when the church becomes loving. When the church becomes unified. When the church focuses on diversity of people groups, cultures, and gifts, and holiness. And we'll see what happens when the church is focused on growing internally and externally. I believe, I believe in the God of angel armies. I believe that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob can still work miracles. I don't think God is done working miracles just because it's 2021. I think God can do it. I think he will do it. I think he's just waiting on people to come together. So this week, for the rest of your lives, remember you are not broken. You are holistically whole, looked at as beautiful by the Son of God. David says it this way, who am I that you are mindful of me, that you care about me? God cares. He cares so much that his son was broken so you don't have to be. That his son was broken so the church doesn't have to be. And we will move forward in the power and the pathos and the love and the vitality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it will begin today. And it will begin with you and me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all you've done. We thank you that something's happened here today. We ask you right now to tell the hearts of your people that we don't just get excited about the word today, but for the rest of the life, our lives, we remember who we are. That we remember that it's important 
to be humble. That it's okay to lose an argument. That it's okay not to get the last word. That it's okay to love and to speak beautifully and to speak tasteful words rather than saying something that's going to hurt somebody just because they're on the other side. And maybe you love them too. We will go with you. We will be the church. Palmetto Baptist Church will move out on her authority given by the one and true God. And we will be unified. And we will be solidified in purpose. And we will give you all the glory because only you deserve it. In your name we pray. Amen.